This is podcast number 205 for the Well-Educated Mother's Heart. Hi, I'm Marlene Peterson, and today I want to tell you about a treasure that's been found. We love to do puzzles around here, and we did quite a few over the holidays. You know that satisfying feeling when you look and look and look for a puzzle piece, and then you finally find it, and the piece fits exactly right. That is the same feeling that I hope you're experiencing in this way of learning. I hope there's always questions that need answering and missing pieces to find all along the way, because when you find them, it gives you that little dopamine rush, doesn't it? Just like finding a missing puzzle piece. Margaret Eggleston is the storyteller I told you about in the storytelling section in Catch the Vision, who has been such a huge influence on my life and this work. I've been piecing together her story for years, and it's so fun to find new pieces. One of her stories I shared with you was about the time she went to her friend's house and could hear her young son upstairs throwing a temper tantrum. She asked if she could help and went upstairs and told him the story of little Jimmy Standby, whom Dr. Grenfell trusted. Now, I'd never heard of Dr. Grenfell, and I didn't expect that I would ever know anything about him. Yet, as I started gathering stories around the rotation, I kept bumping into him. He was an incredible man a doctor who served the people in the remote, freezing-cold regions of Labrador in Canada. He wrote a book about a harrowing experience he had adrift on an ice pan. But I never heard anything about little Jimmy Standby, and I always wondered what the story was that she told this little boy that was so life-changing. Well, a few days ago, someone asked if I knew where the rest of the story was, and I told her it has remained a missing puzzle piece, a piece I wasn't sure I'd ever find. I told her there are lots of books out there with stories of Dr. Grenfell, but I hadn't found Jimmy. This morning someone wrote to tell me how inspired she was by Margaret Eggleston's too, and had learned that her husband had connections in that family line, so she was interested in finding out if there were more books about her. I went to Internet Archive to link her to a page that has a number of her books available digitally. I've been collecting her books over the years and even have some that haven't been posted in Internet Archive, but when I went to Internet Archive this morning, I noticed a new book that I had never seen before, 30 Stories I Love to Tell by Margaret Eggleston, published in 1949. I noticed someone had only uploaded the book last July, so it hasn't been there very long. I opened the book and guess what the first story was? Little Jimmy Standby. She wrote in the preface, Of all the hundreds of stories that I have written or told boys and girls during these many years, the story of Jimmy Standby is the one most often asked for. Apparently, it is the one longest remembered. I am happy to include it in this volume of stories, hoping that it may do for other teachers and leaders what it has done for me in my work with teenage boys and girls. In the footnote, It said that Dr. Grenfell had told her this story personally and asked that she not publish it in writing until after his death. He died in 1940, and this book was published not many years after that. That's why I hadn't found it before. Talk about a dopamine rush. Yet, without the background of what went before, A, I wouldn't have noticed the book, and B, Little Jimmy Standby would have no particular meaning to me. So that's why I keep telling you, plant as many seeds as you can. Then you have more puzzle pieces to connect to. And when you find those connections, it just makes you so happy and you want to keep learning. 
don't worry about learning everything about a topic the first time around. It's a bonus that I'm finding this story in month five when we are learning about Canada. So after more than 15 years of searching for it, I'll share the story with you now, but it will find a permanent home in our Belmont Listening Library in the Canada section. I have a feeling your kids will like it. Jimmy Standby On a crossroad corner in the Labrador, hiding between two old shacks to shield himself from the biting wind, stood a pale, undersized boy of twelve. His clothes were poor and thin, his face was old for his years, and there were dark circles under his eyes. The thermometer registered thirty below zero on that November morning, and his hands were numb and blue as he rubbed them together and clapped them vigorously. Occasionally he would peer around the corner of the shack to see if a dog team weren't coming in the distance, shake his head anxiously, and then huddle back between the buildings again. Two days before, his mother had run a fishbone into her right arm, blood poisoning had set in, and everyone in the Labrador living in a fisherman's home knew what that meant. Loss of the arm, possibly loss of one's life, unless help came immediately. A neighbor had reported that Dr. Wilfred Grenfell, an English physician who was giving his life to work on the Labrador coast, had been seen miles to the south, and that he was on his way north with his dog team. So Jimmy, one of the oldest of the eleven children in that little wretched home, had been sent to wait at the corner in the hope of stopping Dr. Grenfell as he passed, and to show him the way to the home. It was nearly thirty miles away. No wonder his face looked old and tired. Suppose his mother should lose her arm. Had he missed the doctor? Would the doctor go with him? He had waited two hours already. Suppose he should freeze his hands. He turned to his dogs and rubbed his hands in their fur. As he did so, he heard the sound of men calling to their teams, and around the corner swung the sleds, bringing the English doctor. "'What can I do for you, my boy?' asked the doctor, as the boy stepped out before the sled. "'Please, sir, won't you come with me to see my mother? We are afeard of poison, for she has run a fishbone in her arm.' We live thirty miles to the east, and I will lead you. I'm sorry, but I can't do that, replied the doctor, shaking his head sadly. I must hurry, for my patient is very ill, ten miles farther on. If I go to see your mother, he might lose his life. But, sir, cried the boy, clinging to his hand, my mother may lose her life. Can't you please come? There are eleven children in our home, and my father is dead. What would we do if mother shouldn't get well? Eleven of them, repeated the doctor. The boy couldn't have used a better plea. Eleven children. He looked at his watch, questioned his other driver, and then said, I always want to save a mother. I will go with you to see what I can do. So over the snow they flew with the biting wind stinging their faces, but neither thought of that. They were out to save a life. One look at the arm told the doctor that the situation was dreadfully serious. The safest way was to take the arm off, he said. Jimmy stood by, his eyes growing bigger and sadder. Take his mother's right arm off? How then could she keep their poor little home? Closer and closer he crept to the doctor, who was working over the sick mother. 
Finally, the boy touched the arm of the man. Couldn't you and me save her, sir? I would work all night. I would do anything, sir, if I could save my mother's arm. Remember, there are eleven of us, doctor. Can't we try? To the north was a very sick man who needed him, but at his side was this brave little fellow pleading for help for his mother. What ought he to do? Finally, he put an arm about the boy and said, Jimmy, I will stay and help you make the fight. Get some hot water ready in a big tub and we will begin. So the two went to work, Jimmy helping in every way he could, and the doctor fighting as only a true doctor can fight for a life. It was a long, hard pull with little surety of success, but after twelve hours of persistent work, the doctor turned to Jimmy and said, Jimmy, my boy, we have won. Your mother will get better and have two arms with which to keep the home for the eleven of you. You have been a fine helper. Oh, how the boy loved the man. He grasped his hand and held it fast while great tears rolled down his cheeks, tears of happiness and relief. He listened carefully to the directions for the care of the sick one and then helped the doctor make ready for the long, cold ride ahead. His heart was too full for talk. He just helped get the sled ready and smiled, but the doctor knew what he wanted to say and couldn't. As the dogs drew the sled away over the hilltop, Jimmy looked after it with longing eyes. Some day, when I am bigger, I'm going to help him some more. Some day, I'm going to be his man. I'm going to be the best dog team driver he ever had. Jimmy had found his hero. Two years had gone by, and Jimmy, now fourteen, stood again at the crossroads. He had grown taller, but still looked underfed and poorly clothed. Again he was watching for the doctor, but this time his face was as eager as a boy's face could very well be. He could hardly wait. When he heard the sound of the drivers calling to the dogs, he flew out from the shelter of the buildings and down the road, waving his cap and calling, "'Hello, doctor! Here I am again!' "'Why, hello, Jimmy,' replied the doctor. "'How are you? Is anyone sick at your house?' "'No, sir,' said the boy. "'We uns are all well. "'I came down to meet you because I want to be your man.' "'My man?' said the doctor, much puzzled. "'Sure, your man. "'Didn't your man who drives your dogs die? "'I want to help you some more. "'I want to be your man.' "'Oh, I see now,' replied the doctor.' You want to drive my dogs. But, Jimmy, you aren't old enough to drive my dogs. You know I have a big team, and I go on long trips. Sometimes it is hard to get food enough for the dogs, and they get hungry and ugly. Sometimes my man has to go alone on long, cold trips. You wouldn't be safe with my dogs, Jimmy. Wait until you are bigger and older, and then talk to me again. I'm not afraid of the dogs, nor of the long trip, said the boy. I can always make friends with a dog. I want to go. Please take me, sir. Mother said she would like me to be your man. I want to go with you now. And he turned his big, pleading eyes on the Labrador doctor. But Jimmy, you are too small, repeated the doctor. Just try me once and see, pleaded the boy. I am bigger than I look. I can help you as much as a man. Just try me. The doctor laughed, pinched his ear teasingly, and said, 
You are surely too small to handle my team, but I will try you. I'm going now on a short trip across the channel. You may drive the dogs and see for yourself how hard it is. Come, and I will get you ready. Not far away was a small cooperative store which the doctor had helped to form, so he took the boy inside, and when he came out, he was the proudest boy in the Labrador. He had a new cap, new mittens, and new boots, more new things than he had ever had at one time in all his life, and he was to be Dr. Grenfell's man. He mounted the sled jubilantly and went merrily over the snow, showing immediately his skill in handling the dogs. Mile after mile was covered, and the sky began to look gray with clouds. Another man had joined them to show the way over the inlet to a home where the doctor was needed. Suddenly they came across the fresh tracks of a caribou in the snow. Look, said the doctor to the man, that animal has just gone by. I ought to have him for meat for the dogs. The box is almost empty, and I have a long trip tomorrow. Suppose we get the caribou. Calling Jimmy to stop, the doctor asked, Do you think you could stay here with the team while we go after a caribou that isn't far away? I need the meat, and I shouldn't be gone long. What do you say? Ah, the doctor was going to trust him already. Here was his chance to show that he could be as good as a man. With eager voice, he replied, Of course I can stay with the dogs. I'd like to stay. I'll play with them, and we will all be friends when you come back. So the dogs were loosely tied to a small tree, and the two men made ready for the hunt. As they left, the doctor turned to Jimmy, saying, We won't be gone long. You'll stand by, won't you, Jimmy? And the boy answered, You can trust me. I'll stand by. Jimmy watched until the men were out of sight. Then he turned to make friends with the dogs. What fine big fellows they were. Jack, the leader, was more like a wolf than a dog. An hour went quickly by. The next hour went more slowly. It began to snow, and darkness was near. Where was the doctor? He had said that he would surely be back in two hours. Suppose he should get lost. Fear began to creep into the mind of the boy. Maybe he wasn't a man after all. The dogs were calling for their supper. Should he feed them? A deep growl from Jack made him decide that it was the wise thing to do. After a time, he threw out the meat, and the dogs ate it greedily. Then, as was their habit, they just dropped to the ground for the night. Jimmy watched anxiously, worrying more about the doctor than about himself. If he got lost, he would have no sleeping bag and might be frozen. At last it was too dark to see, and the lonely little fellow knew that he must lie down and be quiet so as not to worry the dogs. Drawing one of the sleeping bags from the box, he placed it near two of the dogs for warmth and crept into it, always listening for a call or sound that would tell him that the doctor was near. At last daylight came and the dogs were ready for their next meal. The box is nearly empty, thought the boy, as he fed the dogs their scanty breakfast. What shall I do for their supper? It was hard work to keep the dogs from fighting. The wind was cold, and they wanted to be free. He was cold and hungry, but he dared not eat any food that might be needed for the dogs. Perhaps the caribou had killed his friend. Maybe no one would ever come to find him. 
As time wore on, he questioned what to do. If he loosened the dogs, would they go to some town and be found again? If he kept them there, they might attack him, and then no one would know to whom the dogs belonged. Perhaps he had better loosen them, but no, he couldn't do that. He remembered his promise to the doctor. You can trust me. I'll stand by. Even if he lost his life, he must stand by the doctor. When he had fed the dogs their supper, every bit of food was gone from the box. Food for dogs and food for men. Some of the dogs were growling for more. It was a white-faced boy who lay down between the dogs that second night. He thought of his mother and his ten brothers and sisters. Would someone tell them that he had gone with Dr. Grenfell? Would they ever know that he had stood by the promise he had made? He wished he might tell his mother that he loved her. Perhaps then he wouldn't be so afraid. It was so cold. He felt so strange. His feet were numb and his arms ached dreadfully. He couldn't find a comfortable place to rest his head. Oh, where was the doctor? He knew he must lie very still, lest he waken the dogs, and the night was very long and very hard. When morning came, the boy dragged his weary body out of the sleeping bag. What could he feed the dogs? They were whining for their breakfast. Already two of them had snapped at him. Perhaps they would chew on some leather. He cut pieces from the sled and threw it to them. Would they eat his new cap? Better to have them eat it than attack him. He cut his mittens into strips. Only his boots were left. He tried to pull them off, but his hands just wouldn't pull. Oh, how numb his feet were. He had to crawl instead of walk. What was that he saw in the distance? A sled? Dogs? Perhaps it was the doctor. Suppose they shouldn't see him. He tore frantically at the red shirt that he wore under his great coat and waved it as best as he could. Ah, they were coming his way. He shaded his eyes to try to scan the faces of the men on the sled. Then his hopes fell. It was not the doctor. The men were strangers. Haven't you seen my doctor? he called wearily. He went away two nights ago. I'm waiting for him to come back. Haven't you seen him anywhere? Aye, boy, answered the driver. We have seen your doctor. He is safe in our cabin now, and we've come to take you to him. Why didn't he come? asked the boy. He said he would come right back. He was lost in the snowstorm which overtook them, said the man. He said we would find you right where he left you, but we thought you would have left long ago. A wan smile spread over the face of the boy. The doctor had trusted him. As the men lifted him gently and placed him on one of the sleds, Jimmy whispered, I'm so tired, so sleepy. You'll take care of my dogs, won't you, sir? If I should be asleep when we get to where the doctor is, tell him I, I stood by. I want him to know that. And Jimmy was asleep. But when that dog team came to the cabin where Dr. Grenfell was being treated for severe frostbites, Jimmy was not asleep. He was unconscious. He was tossing back and forth, calling for someone to come to help him with the dogs, for someone to bring more meat for the dogs, for someone to go find his doctor. When the doctor had looked the boy over, he shook his head and said, Take him to the hospital, for he is very ill. 
Tell them to give him the best care possible. I will come as soon as I can. For many days Jimmy lay unconscious on his cot in the hospital, and it was thought he couldn't live. His arms and feet had both been frozen, and while he was unconscious, the doctors had had to take off an arm at the elbow and a leg at the knee in an effort to save his life. The nurses often talked with one another about the day when Jimmy should come to himself and know what had been done, for he had called loudly in his delirium, "'I'm his man. Now I am really his man. He knows. I can be trusted. I'm going to drive his dogs and be his man.' Even so, they were little prepared for the bright, cold morning when Jimmy opened his eyes, looked around, and said, "'Where am I?' "'You're in the hospital, Jimmy,' said the nurse." Don't you remember keeping watch over the dogs while Dr. Grenfell was away? You were a very brave boy, Jimmy. He tried to think, but he couldn't quite remember. He raised his arm to brush his hand over his eyes. A queer look came into his face. Then a cry of despair rang through the hospital that brought nurses running into the room. Oh, oh, I have lost my hand. How can I be his man with only one hand. How can I? Oh, my doctor, why didn't you come when I've waited so long? Oh, my hand, my hand. He turned his face to the wall without even finding that his foot also had been lost. All he could say as he sobbed in despair was, oh, my hand, oh, my doctor. Some days later, Dr. Grenfell received word that Jimmy's life was in grave danger, for no one could comfort him for the loss of his limbs. He came hurrying to the hospital. Under his arm he carried a bulky package that he laid on the table when he entered Jimmy's room. At first the boy couldn't talk. He held the doctor's hand very tightly, while the doctor told him of boys and girls who had spent weeks, months, and even years in that same hospital. Finally, the boy began to see that he must be as brave about his trouble as he had been brave when caring for the dogs. "'I just couldn't bear to think that you weren't brave, Jimmy,' said the doctor, after they had talked of ways of helping him to get well again. "'But I wanted to be your man,' said Jimmy. "'I would rather be your man than anything else in the world, and now I can't be your man.' "'Of course you can't drive the dogs now,' said the doctor.' But I have many other things that my men do for me, many more important things than driving dogs. I need a man right now, just such a man as I think you are growing up to be. If you will hurry and get well and will learn to use the things that are in that package on the table, I can use you in that place. You can still be my man. Jimmy watched in silence as Dr. Grenfell took from the bundle two queer-looking things a wooden leg, and a hook that was to be used as a hand. As the doctor handed them to the boy, Jimmy cried fiercely, No, sir, I'm not going to wear a wooden leg. I'm not going to have a hook for a hand. I'm not going to look different from other boys. Take them away, please. I won't wear them. Sorry, Jimmy, said the doctor quietly. I need you, and I thought you would like to help me, but of course... If you're not even willing to try, I'll have to look for someone else. Goodbye, Jimmy. I hope you will soon be well again. I shall be thinking of you every day. 
Jimmy's eyes filled with tears, and he hung tightly to the doctor's hand. He had so much to say to the doctor, so many questions to ask, and now the doctor was going right away. Oh, no. Do you really mean it, he asked? If I wear those awful things, can I really help you? Did you say you needed me? Will you give me hard things to do and trust me? Do you surely need me in some place? I certainly do, replied Dr. Grenfell. You can still be my man. Give them to me, demanded Jimmy. How do I fasten them on? I want to begin right now while you are here. Patiently and tenderly, the doctor fastened the leg at the knee and the long-handled hook at the elbow. He showed the boy how to use them and encouraged him to surprise the nurses by his patience and courage. The next day the doctor went back to his work. Did Jimmy try? Indeed he did. In spite of pain and many falls, he practiced every day, and as the weeks went by, he became very proficient in the use of both arm and leg. He carried heavier and heavier bundles with the hook, for he had a plan in mind. He would surprise the doctor. When he heard the whistle blow on the boat that was bringing the doctor again to that part of the Labrador coast, Jimmy ran down the gangplank, his face covered with wonderful smiles. "'Give me your bag, doctor,' he cried. "'I'm your man, you know. I carry all bundles now.' He led the way up the gangplank, and the doctor could hardly keep up with him. The doctor's face, too, was full of happiness. He knew that they had both won a hard fight. A few days later, the two began a sea trip far to the north, where there was an orphanage. Fathers of these children had been lost at sea, for they had been fishermen. As they went, the doctor told Jimmy about the problems he often had with some of the boys and girls. We have to teach them honesty and to love work. They must learn to have patience and courage to be dependable, said the doctor. If they are going to be good citizens, they have to learn these things when they are children. I am taking you there to help them learn to do right, Jimmy, to do as they promise to do. I know they will love you and imitate you. You are to be my man in the orphanage. A big cheer went up from the shore when Jimmy and the doctor were seen on board the small ship. Jimmy supposed they were cheering for the doctor, so he cheered too. Carrying the doctor's bag in his hook, he followed close behind the doctor while the children crowded around him. When they reached the orphanage, the nurses and teachers cheered and smiled at Jimmy. Hello, everybody, called the doctor. How are you all? Here I am with that new man I promised you. He isn't very big, but he knows very well how to do what I've told him he is to do. I love him, and you are going to love him too. Putting his arm about the boy as they stood together on the steps of the orphanage, the doctor said, Children, this is my new man. His name is Jimmy Standby. And Jimmy Standby, his name, remained during all the many years that he worked as Dr. Grenfell's man on the Labrador coast. <music>